on short notice uh, take up the preaching of God's word for us on our behalf. Uh, what I had planned to preach you, last week I thought was going to fit very nicely with Jacob being installed as a, an as our associate pastor here. And um, Man plans and God laughs as the Yiddish saying goes. I was not laughing. Um, but we trust God in his sovereignty in all things. And so we're going to pick back up with First Peter. But before we do that, uh, just a not sort of an announcement, but really a prayer request. One of the things, are, as our Kids Light ministry grows, uh, we've seen a need to develop a, uh, a group for our older students. And so uh, now we're moving from having two groups uh, of children to three and uh, kind of developing a, a young middle school uh, group. We're still working on the, I guess, the name and, um, and, and getting that, but that's something we can pray about, that the Lord would build that and grow that, as well as growing the whole ministry. So excited to see that take shape, and we're beginning that uh, tonight, so pray about that. Uh, but turn to First Peter chapter 5. And this is where we pick up, and so we're at the last chapter of First Peter as we've been working through this First Peter series. So just three more sermons in this series, including uh, this one. And we're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 5, which you can see there printed in the bulletin on page 7. And I'm going to read that, and we are going to consider God's word from these verses this morning. But if it was dangerous at this time that Peter was writing to be a Christian, as he's writing to these exiles, these aliens and strangers or sojourners, uh, different words that he uses to describe them. If it was dangerous for them, it was probably dangerous for the church leaders as well, maybe even more so. And if that's the case, what would the church, all of God's people, need to hear in that moment? So we listen to God's word from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And then you'll see in page 7 our, our corporate response to the reading of God's word at the bottom. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Indeed, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have provided for us through it. You speak to us through your word and by your spirit so that we would know how to live, how to follow, how to know you in this world that is oftentimes uncertain, dangerous, fraught with difficulties and sufferings that we face. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your provision in so many ways. And we pray that once again you would provide for us here in this moment. Even as we also ask that you pray, provide for those who can't be here. That, Lord, we are grateful uh, that you're not bound by our circumstances, by our difficulty. 
that your spirit's not bound by our hindrances. So Lord, move and act and do your will in and through us according to your will for our good and your glory. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know where those verses come from. In all likelihood, Psalm 23 is one of the most enduring passages of Scripture known by those in the church and likely known by those who hardly ever darken the door of the church. It has great impact for God's people. That communication that the Lord is willing and is and can be, will be our shepherd. And if he's our shepherd, then we are sheep. We recognize it's not the only place in Scripture. Uh, Again, I was planning on preaching this last week, so our liturgy reflected that. We actually sung, or sang, I should say, Psalm 23. And we had some other Scriptures that reflected that imagery that Scripture gives us of the Lord being our shepherd and we being like sheep. We saw it in our call to worship and uh, as we had this morning, uh, also last week, we saw it in our confession of sin and our uh, words of assurance. Uh, Scripture speaks to sheep and also to those that we might rightly call under shepherds. And if we are like sheep, then it means that we are going to end up doing things that sheep do. Sheep wander off and get lost. Sheep eat the wrong thing and get sick. They get stuck in positions that they can't get out of. They make themselves vulnerable to the attacks of their enemies. But there's also under shepherds, those who serve under the Lord who is our shepherd, those who are stewards, maybe to use another word in scripture, but are Uh, under shepherds of our Lord and they too can go off in the wrong way. They can follow the wrong paths or they can in their shepherding go about it in the wrong ways. So here's my theme this morning. It's simply to say that Jesus, the chief shepherd, provides for us now and forever. He provides now and forever for his flock. And so I want to look at three things. Peter the shepherd the shepherds of the flock, that would be those under shepherds that I just mentioned, and the chief shepherd. So let's start with Peter the shepherd. Now in chapter four, he's just talked about the suffering that will come against Christians. And he said, don't be surprised. That was the last passage that we looked at a couple weeks ago in first Peter, beginning in chapter 12. Remember, he's starting a new section, the last major section of this book when he says, beloved, in verse 12 of chapter 4. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you. So he wants them to be prepared and to be equipped as this suffering comes against them in a, in a dark and desperate world that oftentimes is against Christians as they follow the Lord. Not always, but oftentimes and in many places and in many ways. And as I said earlier, if it's true that Christians in general are under this pressure and the possibility of this adversity, then it certainly would be true of those who lead God's people. 
leaders in the church. And so you see the connection there at verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. You see the so. So I exhort you. I'm going to continue what I've been saying. Now he's connecting it in a very particular way. And Peter was the right man for the job. He knew what it meant to fall short as a leader of God's people, didn't he? He knew what it meant to fall short when pressure came, that leaders could falter in adversity. He himself had done so, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But each of us follow Christ. Regardless of our role, each of us who do follow Christ need to keep alive the realities of our sin, but also keep alive the reality of God's grace and goodness to us, that we are forgiven, that we still matter to the work of God in this world. So we don't lose sight of our sinfulness, but we also don't want to lose sight of God's forgiveness. And so Peter writes, and you see in verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter the shepherd speaks of three different ways that he is identified or that he's identifying himself. The first thing he says is, I'm a fellow elder among you, a fellow shepherd among you. Now, could he have said, I exhort you as an apostle? He certainly could have. He started this letter by identifying himself as an apostle. That was good and right. Paul does the same thing in his letters many, many times. It's good for Peter to do so. It's not wrong for him to say, I exhort you as an apostle. But he doesn't do that here. Because I think he knows that the people of God in this time, and those leaders especially, need to know that there is someone with them in the fight. They're in the, the arena. They're not standing on the sideline. They're in the midst of things. So he says, I'm a fellow elder with you, and so I exhort you. But not only that, I'm a witness, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter saw up close what it meant for Jesus to suffer. Now, most of the disciples stood at a distance. They had scattered. They weren't close up to the crucifixion. But they were around and they knew what it meant for Christ to be crucified. And Peter was there when Jesus was betrayed. And Peter was there when Jesus was arrested. And Peter saw Jesus being led during his trial from place to place. Peter experienced that. He saw that. He witnessed it. And so he exhorts God's people and these leaders as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. But not just that, a partaker in glory, he says. A partaker, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, some commentators immediately go to the transfiguration. That was when Peter and James and John were led up to a mountain with Jesus, and Jesus' glory was revealed. His face shone with light. His, his clothing was white and bright. And they, they didn't know what to do with that. Peter didn't know what to do with that. He just did what he always did, which was to say something. So he saw the glory of God revealed, the glory of Jesus revealed in that moment. But notice that he says that is going to be revealed. So he has an image. He knows that when Christ returns, 
This is something of what it's going to be like. Because Christ will return in his glory. And so as he exhorts, Peter himself is another shepherd who looks to Christ in his cross and looks to Christ in his return. And out of that, then he is able to lead God's people. As Christ returns, we know that everything that is ruined, everything that is broken, everything that is hurt will be undone. Every sadness will be transformed and every hope that we have in Christ will be fulfilled. And so Peter the shepherd looks to those things. Peter the shepherd bases his life and his eternity on that. Uh, Frank Barker, who was the founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham. You may know that church is a large church. He started that church and he writes in one of his books that taking responsibility is not easy. And he tells the story of a police recruit that was given a test. And on that test, he was given this scenario that you show up on a scene where two men are fighting and they, they want to kill each other. It's that serious. And at the same time, as you arrive on the scene, someone, a man grabs you and says, my wife has to get to the hospital and the ambulance drivers are on strike and we need to go now. Meanwhile, he turns as he's turned around, grabbed by this man, he sees that there's an apartment that's on fire and a woman screaming from the top. And so the question in this scenario is, what would you do? Okay? His response, take off my uniform and merge with the crowd. We feel that. We know that leadership is not easy. We know that, that you can come up into circumstances that are difficult and you are uncertain. What do you do here? Now, Peter is not in that way taking off his uniform. He's not just merging with the crowd, but he is saying, I'm here with you. And I understand the difficulties that you face. Like any pastor, any elder, any leader in the church, he wants to show us how our Lord, how our shepherd provides for his flock. Peter wants the church and those who lead in the church to see Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for many. Peter, the shepherd, wants us to be full of gospel hope for the days that come as we are led by the Holy Spirit to still waters and green pastures, even while we look around and see that the nations are raging. And just think about how we today and countless others before us have benefited from Peter the shepherd who decided to write not just one letter, but two that we have in Scripture to the people of God so that they would be equipped in their following. And that's exactly what, we've see, what we see in how, Je how, sorry, how Peter is fulfilling what Jesus had commissioned him to do as a shepherd of the flock so let's talk about the shepherds of the flock now it's my view it's our view here at north hills and in our presbyterian church in our denomination that the lord prescribes a means for leadership he gives two offices that of elder and deacon now in this passage we're focused on elders notice that it's plural so i exhort the elders plural among you that's one of the the 
things that we focus on in our church government is the plurality of elders. That we don't just have one elder leading things, it's all of the elders. So when we have our meetings and we have votes, we don't really vote a whole lot, but as we discuss things, guess how much my vote counts for? One. Same thing with Jacob. In all of us, we have the same voice and the same leadership. Now, I have a particular role, and I lead out of that role. That, that is true. But the idea of elders has its roots in the Old Testament, and we see it in the early church. In the book of Acts 14.23, we hear that when they, that is Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church. That's Acts 14.23. They went about starting churches and appointing elders for them. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 address elders. 1 Timothy 3 also addresses deacons. Now notice here in this passage that Peter's not concerned about laying out a bunch of descriptions about what the elder does or uh, their character, although very much their character is in view here. I just I suppose it's to say it's a little bit different than what Paul does in 1 Timothy and what we hear in Titus as well. Their existence, the existence of the elders is assumed, isn't it? So I exhort the elders among you. Peter already assumes that they have been established, that they exist. And so in verses 2 and 3, he's going to address their task and their heart. Listen to verses 2 and 3 again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, that word exhort is a little bit stronger. He's not just coming along saying, let me encourage you, let me build you up a little bit, but no, let me move you in this direction. Let, let me tell you the significance of this, which I think we readily understand. Peter was well equipped to address the elders' task. We started before this series, the, the week before this series that we began back in the fall, I preached from John 21, where Peter is restored. After he had denied Jesus three times, Jesus comes to him after he's resurrected. He comes to him on the shore as they, they, he's been out fishing, and he has three questions for him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And those three questions then are followed by three affirmations of Peter. Yes, I do. Lord, you know I do. And each time Jesus says something to him, he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's the task that Jesus gave to Peter, and that's the task that exists for shepherds. If shepherds are going to do these things that he's calling for, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, if they're going to do that, what, do they must, what must they know? They must know the sheep. If they're going to shepherd them, they must know them. If they're going to shepherd them, they must feed them. If they're going to shepherd them, they must lead them where the Lord is directing and finally, if you're going to shepherd the flock, you have to protect them from enemies within and without. Now, notice that this is public. What Peter says to these shepherds, these elders among those Christians, he says out loud. He doesn't send a separate letter just to them. Hey, let me let you in on the inside scoop. 
You know, he says it to everybody. Why is that important? Well, if you are not a leader, but are being led, this is the kind of shepherd you should want. This is the kind of leader you should follow. This is what the church should have. And so it matters for all of us, regardless of our relative role in the church, for us to hear what these shepherds of the flock should be about. So not only their task to feed and tend and, and to feed, to know and to serve, they need to have a heart. It would be hard for an elder to undertake the task of shepherding if they don't allow the Lord to give them a shepherd's heart. And you see in these verses, there's three proper and improper motivations, or, or reverse that, improper first and then proper. That is to say, not this, but this. So you see that in these, in these verses. So exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but, and you get that three different times, compulsion, not under compulsion, but willingly. That is, you should desire and delight in God's call rather than simply seeing it as a duty to check off. I cannot truly serve or sacrifice if I'm simply doing it as a hired hand. You won't last long as a leader in that regard, or you will begin to, to lead in the wrong ways. Also, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, this word or this phrase, shameful gain, has the implication of financial greed or gain, but it can apply more broadly because there's all sorts of things you could, you could seek as a leader, right? A shepherd could seek notoriety, name, influence, power, reputation. It wouldn't have to simply be for the pocketbook. So that applies more broadly. Don't seek that, but serve and shepherd eagerly. The third one is not domineering, but being examples of the flock. Uh, many years ago, a uh, seasoned pastor who was here in our church for a little while, after we had had a meeting, and I probably wasn't in the best place mentally and spiritually, he pulled me aside and he said, Adam, I want to remind you that shepherds are called to lead the sheep, not to drive them. You see, I had veered a little bit into that that place of driving the congregation rather than leading. Maybe because I was discouraged. Maybe because I was frustrated. Maybe because I was dealing with my own uh, trauma with cancer. and All sorts of different reasons. Those aren't excuses. But those maybe have been realities of why I began to lead in that way. And I'm thankful for that pastor pulling me aside. And I've remembered that. And I, I hope to not drive this congregation but to lead it and we see that there's a call to to lead and and model a godly life of following christ elders to be examples to the flock my personal ministry motto, motto comes from paul's words in first corinthians where he says follow me as i follow christ or be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I like the conditional aspect of that. That is, only follow me if I'm following the Lord. If you see me going off somewhere else, don't follow me unless you're coming to like pull me back. right? But as I follow Christ, then indeed, imitate that. 
as I go to the cross, come with me. As I repent of my sin, do the same. That's what we're called to and what leaders are called to in the church. And so that does mean that when we fall short, and we will, when we fail, when we sin, you should be us, see us not as chief leaders, though we may be, but as chief repenters, first and foremost. And so we seek to do that. And there's a story of tourists that were outside Jerusalem and the tour guide had told the, the people there they had gone outside of the city and they had seen some sheep being led by a shepherd. And the tour guide says the shepherds always lead from the front, never from the back. So as they're driving back into the city, they see a shepherd driving the sheep from behind. And so someone says, hey, I thought you said they never drive from behind. They always lead from out front. So the tour guide gets off the bus to find out what's going on talks to the shepherd, finds out the shepherd's not a shepherd, but a butcher. We heard that in Ezekiel this morning. It is true that sometimes shepherds become butchers of the flock in lots of ways. And that's something we should lament. Right now I'm leading a group of elders in our presbytery, just a small group as we work through a document that our denomination uh, created to deal with the domestic abuse, sexual assault, and other kinds of abuse. And one of our first topics that we talked about in detail was that of spiritual abuse. That is leaders misusing their authority. And it, it, it saddens me to no end that it's necessary for us to address those things. But it's not something new. Go back again to Ezekiel 34. It existed then. And it likely existed when Peter writes, or he would not have needed to write to these elders and to this church for them to know. This is what you should be looking for in shepherds of the flock. The Lord's in ways that I cannot fully comprehend, but I have embraced, has chosen to provide for his people gathered in local bodies for his church in part through elders, through pastors, through shepherds, all words that are synonymous in Scripture. We should lead in humility. We should lead ourselves and then others. We should lead like Jesus. And one of the things that's going to happen next month is we're going to have officer nominations for elder and deacon. And you, if you're a church member, will have the opportunity to nominate men to office. Please take that seriously because there is a need for leadership in the church. It's a constant need. It's an always need, but we especially need it right now where we are. We're also going to have a preview of our leadership live, uh, our Saturday night leadership uh, live uh, that we're going to do, start more fully in the fall, but in April we're going to have a preview. And a part of that's going to be a time of discipleship for our covenant children. So they are a part of that. But anyone, men or women, any role that you have and desire to grow in your following of Christ and then therefore in your leadership in whatever roles the Lord has placed you, whether it's as a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, a person in the workplace, or a servant in the church, and any other ways that you can think, you're, you're invited. And so I'm looking forward to building out that initiative as, as we also begin to work on uh, appointing uh, diaconal assistants and developing our apprenticeships with elders and deacons. 
So the Lord does provide shepherds of the flock, but he also provides through himself, the chief shepherd. And that's my last point. And you can give an amen to this, but I'd ask you to do it in a very Presbyterian way, what I'm about to say. I make, and you probably know this, I make a miserable savior. Amen. Thank you. That's right. I know you know that. I, I thought Lydia might be the loudest, right? Now, you're, hopefully, you're not looking to me to be your savior. And hopefully, I'm not trying to be anyone's savior, but I would make a miserable savior. And none of us should forget that Christ, what Christ has done at the cross, cannot be improved on by us. We merely grow in it. We learn more about it. We begin to, to, for it to take more and more of the center of our being and our faith. But there's one more motivation that Peter gives here for the elders that are among them. He says, verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So that, that motivation is there that there will be a reward for those who lead in the church, those who shepherd the do so in a willing way, in an eager way, as examples of the flock as they're called to do. Faithful shepherds will receive, Peter says, this unfading crown of glory. Now, Peter's drawing from the idea that winners of athletic contests at this time, they would receive a, a victor's crown made of flowers or leaves or something like that. And over time, what happens to that? It fades. It begins to wither and fall apart uh, unless you keep it, you know, very gently. But it's not something you'd parade around the house in too much. Maybe just one time when you're trying to make your point, right? I'm a winner. Right? That's what Peter's talking about. But he says here, when the chief shepherd appears, you're going to receive an unfading crown of glory. Well, who is the chief shepherd? The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. Now, in John 10, he doesn't call himself the chief shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. But the good shepherd and the chief shepherd are the same. And once again, what Peter is doing is anytime he talks about the challenges that exist for the church and for the people of God, even as he acknowledges that reality, he wants them to never be far from this truth. Jesus Christ will return. Do not lose sight of that when he returns not peter doesn't say if he returns when he returns you will receive this unfading crown of glory but notice too what else we see about this the chief shepherd is the one who ultimately belong to the flock and vice versa the flock belong to him as peter writes back to verse 2 Shepherd the flock of what? The flock of God, right? Not your flock, not your little kingdom, not your church, big or small, the flock of God. They belong ultimately to the good shepherd who has given his life for them. That's who they belong to. And that's why we talk about elders and pastors being under shepherds. We are under the chief shepherd who will return. And that also means that elders will be accountable for the way that they lead and they shepherd. And you see this in Hebrews 13, 17, which you can read at another time. 
But the main thrust of this that I want you to hear is that the chief shepherd will return. So while we may suffer and leaders will sacrifice, Christ appearing again in glory is something we eagerly await. He will gather us up and lead us into everlasting life. And that provision is for now through the church and forever when he returns. So we all must be looking to the chief shepherd as he leads and cares for us. Should we lose sight of him, then we are in danger of serving ourselves or resenting the shepherds that shepherd us or the shepherding we're attempting to do. Humility will be necessary for all. And we'll look at that more next week as we continue in this chapter. Peter's going to begin to address the church and everyone through that lens of humility. And let me assure you, whether you have humility now or not, when Christ returns, you will. That's right. The Lord is Mary's shepherd. She shall not want. He makes her to lie down in green pastures. He leads her beside still waters. Mary was the first woman that I was with, or the first person, I should say, woman, of course, the first person I was with when they took their last breath in this life. I was an interim, interim pastor in seminary of a Baptist church, and Mary was one of our faithful saints. And she was there in the hospital, and I'd been called by the family. And let me assure you, you really don't know what to do in those moments. I didn't know what to do, but the Lord led me to Psalm 23, and I read Psalm 23 and inserted Mary's name. The Lord is Mary's shepherd. And I got a chance to do the same when I was able to, through the wonders of technology, FaceTime Alice couple days before she passed and I did the same the Lord is Alice's shepherd and you get to the end of that and what's the promise what's the promise for us that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because we have a good shepherd who has come for us to lay down his life and we have a chief shepherd who will return for us. And so as your pastor, if I am, and as your, one of your elders, what we seek to do is lead you again and again to the cross of Christ and then to look and see that Christ is coming back. Because that ultimately is my only hope and your only hope. That we would say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that you love us, you care for us, you lead us. Thank you that you provide uh, us leaders uh, of one I am. And I know how far from perfect we are and how we fall short and yet lord i thank you that it's not all in my hands you didn't say here good luck no lord you're with us you continue to lead us by your spirit you are the one who is our shepherd 
And so I pray that we would see you again and again, and we would know you. And Father, thank you for your word, but also this meal as we come before it. In Jesus' name, amen.